Welcome to the Ship Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's precious metals news. It's Friday, January 6th. I'm your host, Mike Perry. Thanks for tuning in. Well, y'all have questions? I have answers. 100% correct answers or your money back. Isn't that a great deal? Can't miss on that, right? So I mentioned last week um, at the end of the show that as you're listening to me now, I'm actually on vacation, sunning it up in the Caribbean. And I didn't want to leave y'all starting off the year with no Friday Gold Wrap podcast, so I decided, you know what? I'm going to do an Ask Me Anything episode. That way you guys will have some content. And I can do it way beforehand. So I'm actually recording this on uh, the last day of 2022, but you're listening to it in the future. Kind of cool, right? So what I did was I just solicited a bunch of questions uh, on my Facebook and actually got a couple from email as well. And I got a bunch of a lot of really good questions. In fact, I could do probably three episodes. So I just kind of picked the ones that I thought would work the best for this particular episode. Maybe I'll revisit this idea on down the road on some weeks that there's not a lot of news going on. Or maybe I'll do just like answer a question at the end of every episode or something if this goes over well. So let's get to the questions. The first one came via email. Jim asked, what is your educational background? Uh, That one's easy enough. Uh, I actually have two undergraduate degrees. I, uh, like most people, I went to college right out of high school, the University of Kentucky, ended up earning a bachelor's degree in accounting. Quite frankly, didn't have any interest at all in accounting. Uh, At that point, I was going to be a rock and roll musician and actually was a musician professionally for about 10 years. And um, so I never actually did accounting. And my real passion has always been writing. So in 2006, I went back to school to the University of South Florida and got a second undergraduate degree in journalism. So if people ask, I usually say I'm, I'm trained as a journalist because that's really, that's the thing that took. Uh, I worked in, uh, in news for a while, both uh, newspaper and television. And um, so, you know, writing again is my, my passion. But Doing this, working for Shift Gold, that background in business from an academic standpoint has turned out to be pretty darn handy. Two things work together as kind of a, uh, an economic journalist. Interestingly, I was uh, talking with uh, Jeff Deist. He's the president over at the Mises Institute not too long ago, and we were just discussing the fact that you know economic narratives are generally pretty bad, especially if you're talking about economic history, and I think that's because, and and this was Jeff's theory as well, I agree with him, historians tend to write the narratives, and historians generally are much better writers than economists. We need more economists who are good writers and storytellers, and Henry Hazlitt was actually a journalist. He was not an economist by training and wrote arguably one of the best books on economics ever written, Economics in One Lesson. If you've never read that, I highly recommend it. It's an easy read because he's a journalist and he he knows how to make things make sense. I would like to think that I have that talent, maybe not quite to the degree of uh, old Mr. Hazlitt. All right, next question comes from Jason. He asks, why is silver 
better than gold? Not sure I really get this question. Uh, obviously, Jason's making an assumption. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming he thinks silver is better than gold, and I'm supposed to agree with him. Um, Jason has a pretty good sense of humor anyway. Uh, you know, I would argue that silver isn't better than gold, but it is certainly different. And because it is different, it might be better uh, in terms of investing for certain people. It really depends on your goals and, and objectives with investing. Uh, the biggest difference, I think, between gold and silver is that silver, obviously, is more of an industrial metal than gold. Both of them have industrial applications. Gold is used quite extensively in technology, but it's usually nanoparticles um, and, and some in electronics. But the offtake for uh, gold in terms of industrial use is much lower than silver. Silver is 50 to 60% of its demand comes from, uh, from industry. As a result, silver tends to be more volatile than gold. Uh, if you look at the price fluctuations day-to-day, month-to-month, you'll see much more up-and-down movement in the price of silver because it is an industrial metal to the extent that it is um, you will see demand ebb and flow. When you have economic downturns, uh, the demand for silver will drop off as industrial output slows down. Um, so, so that kind of accounts for that volatility. That being said, at the core, silver and gold are both monetary metals. And if you look at the trajectory of the two metals over the long run, they tend to run in parallel. And interestingly, historically, Silver has actually done better in gold bull markets than gold. Uh, we saw this recently after the 2008 financial crisis, uh, where where silver, you know, went far ahead of gold in terms of percentage uh, change in price. Same thing happened during the pandemic. So when gold starts to run up, silver starts to run up as well, and and it tends to outperform gold. You can kind of see this in the silver-gold ratio, which tells you how many ounces of silver it takes to buy one ounce of gold. Uh, right now, that's extremely wide, and that indicates that the next time that we start to see gold running up, silver will, in all likelihood, if you believe historical trends, will run up even faster. Of course, another big difference between silver and gold is that silver is much less expensive. Uh, you can buy an ounce of silver right now for 24 25 bucks an ounce, uh, and then gold, of course, is, is just over $1,800 an ounce. So if you are an investor that doesn't have a lot of capital to invest, it's much easier to get into silver. You can get an ounce of silver much more easily than you can get an ounce of gold, and, and therefore, I think for <clears throat> a lot of People with more modest incomes, silver is a better um, investment simply because it's more affordable. Um, I also think that, in, you know, kind of looking at why you might hold gold and silver, if your concern is a currency collapse or hyperinflation, if you're looking ahead and thinking, I might need to use uh, precious metals in order to obtain goods and services, uh, I think you definitely want to hold silver as it's much more easy to do everyday transactions in silver than it is in gold. Uh, you know, obviously, if you have an ounce of gold, it's worth $1,800. It's hard to make change. Uh, whereas if you have um, a small piece of silver, uh, it's much more easy to exchange that for, you know, say a carton of eggs. Um, so, you know, I kind of like gold as kind of my long-term uh, protect wealth, and then I hold some silver 
in the event of currency collapse or some type of, of you know, event where geopolitical collapses occur. So I don't think gold is better or silver is better. I think they're different. They have a little bit different roles. Uh, and, and you just kind of have to look at, you know, what your investment goals happen to be. Now, Jess emailed me, and this is along kind of the same lines, also talking about silver. He asked, considering that the ultimate end destination for all of this monetary nonsense is most likely a hyper-stagflationary depression lasting upward of a decade, and I kind of agree with this, we know that gold does well in stagflation, but what about silver? Given silver's industrial uses, can we expect investment demand to compensate and provide a significant enough monetary tailwind for it also to do well? I think, again, historically, yes. And I touched upon this uh, earlier uh, in, in my last answer to Jason. Historically, silver has actually outperformed gold in these gold bull markets. Um but Jess does bring up a valid point. If we are in a global downturn, you're definitely going to see the industrial demand for silver drop. Um, but given silver's primary monetary characteristics, um, I do think that investment demand will help compensate for that because that's what we've seen historically. There's another aspect to this as well. I think governments are going to kind of prop up silver demand. Uh, silver is a big factor, uh, a big resource necessary for the green energy movement, particularly solar. Um, it's also being used in, in the development of 5G. And government heavily subsidizes this stuff. I don't see any reason to believe that all of a sudden uh, governments are going to stop subsidizing solar. So that aspect of silver demand, I think, will probably remain pretty consistent and robust. But even so, again, just looking at history, Silver has tended to move up and down with gold and silver broad, or I'm sorry, silver has tended to move up and down with gold on a pretty consistent basis. And, and that would lead me to believe that, that silver will do well in this hyper-stagflationary depression if that is indeed what comes along. Next question. Uh, I didn't write down who, who asked this, but uh, the question is, what's the increase in debt default? for consumers, so credit cards, mortgage, student loans, etc., since the Fed rate hikes? Uh, that's a good question. So we've certainly seen uh, interest rates spike significantly. Credit card interest rates are now at the highest level ever. Uh, they're knocking on the door of 20% in a lot of cases. Um, so as the costs of debt go up, as people are more and more indebted, you would expect to see more defaults, uh, which is certainly what we've seen in the past in these, these kind of debt-ridden cycles. Um, so interestingly, delinquency rates are actually still below pre-pandemic levels, but they are rising. And I didn't look up the exact numbers, but um, we got the third quarter household debt report about a month and a half ago. And uh, this comes out from the Federal Reserve. And this is what they said. They said, quote, the share of current debt transitioning into delinquency increased for nearly all debt types following two years of historically low delinquency trans transitions. So delinquencies were historically low for a couple of reasons. Number one, a lot of companies, particularly mortgages, and they were required by law, uh, student loans also required by law to give amnesty and, and extensions uh, for 
paying on debt. So nothing went into delinquency during the pandemic. Uh, as a, and then, of course, we got these multiple rounds of stimulus. And a lot of people used that stimulus money to pay down credit card debt. Credit card debt dropped precipitously during the pandemic era. So now we're starting to see that build back up. But the delinquencies haven't quite caught up yet. So they're rising uh, it is concerning if you look at the tr- at the trend, but if you look at the raw numbers, uh, delinquencies are still relatively low um, in comparison with you know where they were um, before the pandemic. So. I think this is going to be an increasingly big problem moving forward into the next year, um, especially if the Fed manages to hold those interest rates high. You're going to see more and more people begin to default. Uh, the housing market is a mess right now, and at some point, I think the dam is going to break there too. So you'll see a lot of foreclosures, um, and uh, and so I think this is a a problem in the making, but it hasn't bubbled up to the surface yet. Okay, Rachel asks, why isn't gold and silver currently valued higher? I think a lot of people are asking this question. We just went through a year of significant price inflation. In an inflationary environment, you expect precious metals to do well. They're considered inflation hedges. And a lot of people look at the price um, and say, what has happened? Why haven't we seen gold and silver uh, rise precipitously. Um, obviously, the, I, I'm recording this on uh, on Saturday the 31st. Um, it looks like gold closed out the year right around 18, 20 an ounce. Um, hold on a second. Let me look. Yeah, so gold is at 18.24. Um, that's the spot price right now. And it actually closed out uh, December 31st uh, in 2021 right around 18.20 an ounce. So we've had a sideways trade. You haven't earned any money on your gold. You haven't lost any money. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because a lot of people, again, think, oh, well, gold just did awful this year. Well, it didn't do nearly as awful as stocks, which crashed, bonds, which crashed, crypto, which crashed. So gold and silver did actually serve as a hedge if it is part of your portfolio. I have to emphasize that fact. Um, but I think it is fair to, to look at it and say, well, why wasn't it higher? It seems like it should have been higher. And the main reason for that is the headwinds created by the Federal Reserve tightening monetary policy. Rising interest rates are always considered a negative for gold. Gold is a non-yielding asset, as is silver. Uh, and, and by non-yielding, it doesn't it doesn't pay interest, right? So if you buy a bond, um, you, you pay $100 for a bond, uh, every month you're going to get a little interest payment from that bond. It's, it's yielding interest interest. Gold doesn't do that. It just sits there. Um, the, the value of gold increases primarily due to the depreciation of currency. So as dollars devalue, the price of gold rises. Uh, we saw this in Euro, in the Eurozone, where gold was actually up uh, 6 or 7% this year in euros. So you know, if you're looking at it in dollars, we're flat. In many other currencies, gold did very, very well. Um, but it is not a yielding asset. So when you start seeing interest rates rise, a lot of people will try to get out of gold. They want to get into things that are yielding um, higher returns. And so I think as the Fed has raised interest rates, as there's been this perception that we're fighting inflation, we're going to slay inflation, um, there has been some spurning of gold and silver in the markets, particularly when it comes to institutional investors. And I've talked about this before on the show. Um, 
we've had uh, very little demand for paper gold, gold ETFs. A lot of metal has come out of the, the ETFs. Physical gold, though, the demand has been very, very strong. Uh, people have been buying physical metal. We've been seeing physical metal pouring out of the comics vaults. So people do want gold, but the big institutional investors that tend to drive price in the short run have kind of been out of the market. And I think that's primarily why we haven't seen uh, gold move higher than it has. Brian asks, what are a few steps anyone can and should take to increase their financial solvency within the next five years? Um, Great question. I will start this with a caveat that I am not a financial advisor. I have no you know, credentials to make me a financial advisor. This is Mike Meharry's opinion, an educated opinion, I would argue, but my opinion purely. So, you know, <laughs> Don't say, well, Mike Mary said, and then, you know, come back at me in five years if you're broke. But, um, you know, I I have four steps here that I think are important. Uh, And honestly, they're probably going to sound pretty boring and common sense. But as with most things, I think you need to start with fundamentals. Number one, get out of debt. Um, With a higher interest rate environment, Debt is crushing right now. Um, you know, if you're paying 20% interest on a credit card, you, you're making minimum payments, you're never going to pay that down. You're just paying for interest. Um, and then, of course, if you're in a lot of debt, it's it's uh, a lot of your cash flow is being diverted. Get out of debt. Um, we can debate whether or not you, you want to get out of your mortgage, pay your mortgage off. Uh, I, I think you can make a case if you are uh, in a mortgage. You know, If you got your mortgage a couple of years ago when we were at these extraordinarily low mortgage rates of 2 3 4%, um, it makes sense to go ahead and keep paying on that mortgage as long as your cash flow is good. But credit cards, auto loans, all of this high interest debt, try to pay it off and open up that cash flow. Number two, create multiple streams of income. Get a, hot, a side hustle. Um, you know, Diversify yourself so that if something falls apart, uh, if, if we dive into a deep recession, you lose your job, maybe you have some other income coming in that will help, uh, help ease that burden. Uh, the more streams of income you have, the less vulnerable you are to something happening in the economy. So, you know, side hustles can be fun too. You know, find something you're interested in. There's all kinds of things you can do as far as e-commerce. Uh, you know, if, if you're into photography, there's all kinds of things that you might be able to monetize, even if it's just a little bit, uh, by doing something you already enjoy. So, I highly encourage trying to find a side hustle. Number three, start saving. Use the money you're saving that that you're not having to spend because you're not paying on all of this debt. And put it into savings. Make it a habit. Even if it's as little as $10 a month, put some money away each month and that money will begin to build. And as you get into the habit of saving, it becomes easier and easier. And then then it becomes a challenge. It's like, oh, I want to put in extra money this month. Um, As you save, I would recommend not holding a lot of money in, uh, in cash you know, just leaving it sitting in a bank account, put it at least in a money market. Money markets are are paying a pretty good interest rate right now with interest rates higher. So you can you can save there. If you're planning on saving for long term, uh, you can go ahead and put it into precious metals, you know, uh, save up $1,800 and buy a gold coin or save up, you know, 100 bucks and buy 100 bucks worth of silver. Uh, and that'll help minimize the 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 inflationary hit you're going to take holding cash. But definitely 
save. You want to have savings. Uh, again, this is your security blanket if something happens with the economy, with your job. Um, so multiple streams of income, saving. And then from an investment standpoint, again, I'm not an investment advisor. Um, so just some general things that I think and, and that I'm kind of trying to do with my my portfolio Um Expect an ongoing inflationary environment, so you'll want to get out of dollars. I like commodities, including, of course, gold and silver, but also agricultural commodities, oil, industrial metals, things that are going to go up in price as the dollar crashes. Um, you know, and, and you kind of have to look at these things. You know, obviously, industrial metals. If we go into a deep recession, they may not uh, they may not yield as much as uh, they would otherwise. But um, typically, commodities are good in an inflationary environment. And I like emerging markets. If you're looking at stocks, uh, foreign countries, emerging markets, they tend to do well when the dollar is weak. And I think we're going to see dollar weakness in the years ahead. Uh, so you might want to look at emerging markets. Um, as far as you know, American stocks go, I would stay out of the speculation. I would look at um, solid companies that are earning money, that will continue to earn money in a recessionary environment, that pay dividends. Um, you know, not these companies that aren't even making any revenue. You know, we saw this huge stock market blow up, the stock market bubble blow up over the the last decade or so because of all of the easy money that's out there. And that has been feeding this speculative mania. So you've seen these these tech companies and startups and IPOs and all of this mania where people, you know, they've got this extra money and they can borrow money and they can do leverage and they can put all this, all of that's crashing right now. So so solid companies that have been around that are earning income paying dividends. Those that's that's what I like. Mike asks, I hear China is manipulating the gold market. True. How should we think about nations and their gold supply? I don't think that China is manipulating the gold market as such. I'm, I tend to be skeptical of the manipulation narrative. Gold is a multi-billion dollar market. It's hard to manipulate it, especially over the long term. I'm not saying that manipulation doesn't happen. We know that it does, but this tends to be a short-term thing. So somebody might be able to um, you know, do a huge buy that pushes the price up momentarily, and then they'll take advantage of that. That kind of manipulation happens for sure. Happens in all markets. Let's be honest. In the era of computer trading, uh, you can dump a bunch of stock or dump a bunch of gold and and you know impact the price and then and then play in it people use it to to get out of their shorts or get out of their longs or or whatever so that happens but i don't think that there's this long term manipulation of the gold market now i do think that china and, and many other companies are getting more gold I mean that's obvious. We can look at the uh, just just looking at the central bank gold buying over the last year. Um, in the third quarter, we had a mystery buyer in the central bank world, which was probably China. Um, so, and other countries are doing it as well. India, a lot of emerging market countries are getting gold, and quite simply, they're trying to get out of dollars because they recognize the same thing that I've been talking about. The the dollar. Um, is is getting shaky. And I think that at some point, the dollar is no longer going to be the sole reserve currency. The U.S. has basically used the dollar as a foreign policy weapon. Um, 
people don't like that, you know, and they don't want to be vulnerable to the U.S. and, and U.S. foreign policy. So they are looking for ways to diversify away from dollars. Gold is the best diversifier there is. Gold has been money for 5,000 years. That's why these central banks are accumulating gold. I think we are moving toward a time when the dollar is no longer dominant. Uh, dollar hegemony is coming to an end. I don't know exactly what will replace it. Maybe gold will once again become kind of the reserve currency money in the world. I would expect maybe a uh, some type of basket or something. But regardless, you're going to see a decline in the dollar over the years ahead. And I think that's why a lot of countries are accumulating gold. But I don't think that it's really right to call it a manipulation. So Brandon asks, why are premiums so high on American silver eagles? Is it something to do with a law that the government has to have silver to sell and they are running low? This is stuff I heard on YouTube. Well, Brandon, yeah, that's kind of right. Basically, a shortage of silver planchets um, is what is behind the high premiums on silver eagles. So planchets are the silver discs that are used to strike coins. Basically, they're slugs, right? The U.S. Mint does not create its own planchets, and it must obtain them from outside sources. So this is uh, from a Coin Week article a while back. The planchet shortage, say that three times fast, the planchet shortage has resulted in a coin production shortage, with the Mint having struck only 12.8 million silver eagles through September 2022. Um, It was twice that amount um, in 2021 with demand at a similar level. So that's pushed premiums way up, perhaps to the highest levels over spot ever seen. Uh, So a little background, the uh, American Silver Eagle program started in 1986. And of course, it was authorized by Congress and the law that created the coin specified that the silver had to come from silver mined in the U.S., now, this wasn't a problem at that point because they were getting silver from a thing called the Strategic and Critical Materials Stockpile, uh, which was created in 1968. So in the 80s, it was no longer viewed as needed. So they just pulled silver out of that. Um, once that stockpile was gone, gone Congress uh, changed the law and specified that the Mint must purchase silver mined within one year. So it has to be within a year old and it cannot use recycled silver. Um Not exactly sure what the reasoning was. I think they thought it would save money. Um, But the bottom line is the Mint has had a hard time getting these silver planchets under the limits that the law places on it. And so we've seen a, a, a shortage of silver eagles and very high premiums. And uh, so, you know, if you look at Canadian maple leafs uh, or other silver coins that are minted out there, uh, they've not had quite the same increase in premium as we have with the U.S. Eagles simply because uh, the dumb U.S. government has created (laughs) a situation that um, was ripe for a um, shortage. Heather asks, what states have the best policies when it comes to gold, other precious metals, and bullion? That's a great question, Um, and I have the answer for you. There's an organization called the Sound Money Defense League that has a sound money index. These folks are really good. They do a lot of uh, state-level legislative work uh, to promote sound money. And based on this index, Wyoming, Texas, and South Dakota are the three most pro-sound money states in America. 
Um, if you're interested, Vermont is ranked dead last. Um, Alaska, New Hampshire, and Utah also scored very high. So their index is based on tax policies, whether a state recognizes the monetary role of gold and silver under the Constitution. So for instance, Utah actually recognizes um, gold and silver as legal tender. Um, whether a state holds pensions, reserves, or bonds in gold and silver, whether a state has imposed precious metal dealer, investor her. Uh, investor harassment laws and other criteria. Um, I know Texas scores very high because it actually has its own uh, gold depository. So those are the strongest sound money states based on uh, this um, criteria. One of the things that we really promote over at the Tenth Amendment Center is um, just getting rid of the taxes on gold and silver. There are still several states that have a sales tax on gold and silver. Now we've seen uh, those start to disappear and be repealed, which is good because, I mean, why would you tax money? It's ridiculous. Um, so hopefully we'll see more states continue to promote sound money because here's the thing. When states promote sound money, particularly gold and silver, it creates an environment where we can have some type of currency competition with Federal Reserve notes. Um the less barriers you have to using gold and silver as money, the better. And obviously, a tax is a barrier to not only investing, but it's also a barrier to um, actually doing transactions. So in a world where we're seeing more and more um, the, the ability to use blockchain and, and cryptocurrency-backed kind of things where we can actually transfer gold and silver with actually having to hold the metal in our hands, there's an opportunity to do business in sound money and undercut uh, fiat currencies. So it's really important for states to to take these actions. And if you live in a state, you know, you might want to look um, and, and see what your state can do to help promote sound money. I'm going to do one more. I'm getting very long here, but... One more good question. Thomas asked, is it constitutional for a state to issue a gold-backed stablecoin? So for folks who don't know, stablecoins are cryptocurrencies, and uh, their value is pegged to another currency or a commodity or a financial instrument. So basically, you'd have a, a stablecoin that is um, pegged to gold. So its value would be based on the price of gold. So the question is, can a state issue a stablecoin that's backed by gold? I would argue that from a constitutional standpoint, it is not constitutional. Argue, uh, Article 1, Section 10 prohibits states from coining money. Now, a lot of people want to take that literally and say, well, you know, a state can only, uh, it only prohibits states from making coins. But that really isn't, I don't think, what the meaning of coining money was from a constitutional standpoint. It's very important when you look at constitutional uh, interpretation to look at what words meant in a legal context when the Constitution was written and ratified. And um, if you go back and you look, there was a, a secondary definition. The primary definition of coining was to actually stamp a coin. But there was a secondary definition of coining money, which was basically to produce money. And that was widely used um, in, in the general public. So my view is that the states are prohibited from 
issuing any type of currency or creating any kind of money. If you look at the context of uh, of this provision in the Constitution, the founding generation thought it was very important to have a uniform currency throughout the United States, um, and and that's why they prohibited states from uh, creating money. So I think if you take the spirit of what the Constitution meant and in, in the definition of coining, I my argument would be to and. Here's the thing. I always take the most strict interpretation as possible, and and so I do think that that's a prohibition to the states. Now, that does not stop an individual or a private entity from issuing a stable coin backed by gold. Uh, In fact, we have um, these things called gold backs, which kind of came out of the, uh, the the Sound Money Act that was passed in Utah a number of years ago when they recognized Utah, when, when Utah recognized gold and silver as legal tender, um, a, uh, a company was formed um, and, and basically became a kind of a gold bank and a private gold bank that allowed people to, um, to transfer gold back and forth, to transact business in gold. And they created these things called gold backs. So they're actually, um, they're, they're actually printed currencies, but they have a, a small amount of gold in them and they're valued uh, based on that small amount of gold. Um, so th- it's, it's in essence a, a currency that is backed by gold or that it is gold. And so a private organization absolutely can do this um, and and there's no problem with it. But when a state does it, I think you do run into constitutional issues. So that is our Ask Me Anything. Like I said, I've got probably, that's probably half the questions that I got. So maybe I'll do some more. Or like I said, maybe I'll start doing like one question a show or something if people are really interested and, and, and think this was fun. I hope you did enjoy it. Um, I hope you're having a great beginning of the new year. And, of course, I'll be back next week, uh, hopefully a little bit more suntanned and relaxed, and we'll get back into uh, the business of business and gold and silver and all the things going on in the economy. Until then, that's a gold wrap for this week. And, of course, as always, you can get more details on all of these stories and more. Keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shipgold.com slash news. If you haven't done it, it should be your New Year's resolution. Subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap. You can do it at Apple Podcasts. You can do it at Google Podcasts. We're on Stitcher. We're at YouTube. Links to all of this stuff is uh, on the show notes page. You can also email me, mmaharry, M-M-A. Gosh, I can't even spell my own name. M-M-A-H-A-R-R-E-Y at shipgold.com. Um, you can email me there. You can send me questions, and maybe we'll answer them on the show. That's it. Have a great day. I'll talk to you next week. <laughs>